While you're turning there, I want to say welcome to those who are watching on our live stream from Piedmont Healthcare Center. Um, Brother Paul Harper has worked at, at uh, setting that up so over there so that residents of Piedmont Healthcare Center can worship with us each Sunday morning. I want to thank uh, Paul and Pep Waits for the work that they have done there in establishing that. And so that our residents of Piedmont Healthcare can also have an opportunity to worship with us on Sunday morning. The verse of scripture there will finish up our sermon series this week called Back to School. We had we're having first football game. Everybody's been back in school for a couple of weeks, so we'll finish that up this this Sunday. I the older that I get, the more that I am looking forward to that first morning when I walk out and I see my breath hanging in the air. Amen. It's hot. It's hot, and I'm ready for it. Um, we've been studying. Uh, we've been jumping off each week with a verse out of Proverbs, uh, and we've been looking at the wisdom of King Solomon. And as we have been introducing each week, and we've been talking about King Solomon and his wisdom, one of the things that I have mentioned here is, is that God gave these verses, God gave this wisdom to Solomon through a request of Solomon. God gave Solomon the opportunity to choose uh, from a lot of different things. Solomon chose wisdom. He said, I need wisdom to be able to lead your people in the way that they, in, in the way that they should go. And because of that, God blessed him with great wisdom. He blessed him with great wealth. He blessed him in so many ways. There is a section of scripture that tells about the wealth of Solomon, and it's unparalleled in the history of the world. But I have made a statement the past couple of weeks, and my wife took me to task over that statement. I have made this statement, and I have said, if King Solomon had taken his wisdom and put it in his heart instead of his head, he would have been the greatest man who ever lived. And Bree said, you realize that Jesus was greater than Solomon. And I said, yeah, you realize that Jesus was God and man. And she said, but you haven't made that clear. So you ought to live in a home with people who listen to your sermons, and then on Sunday afternoon they tell you what you did wrong in your sermon. So that's why I told her to stay at home this morning. <laughs> she's not feeling well this morning, so that's why she's not here. But I want to make this statement. Let me make it clear. If King Solomon had put his wisdom in his heart instead of his head, he would have been a much greater man. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes and you read the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon introduces himself as the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. And he says this phrase about his life. He says, vanity, says the preacher. Vanity, vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. And what he says there at that moment is this. God blessed me with all this wisdom. God blessed me with all this wealth. God blessed me with all these things. And I did not live for God the way that I should have. And as a result, all of these things are meaningless. All of the wealth and all of the wisdom and all these things have become meaningless to me because I didn't live for God the way that I should have. So as we continue to look this week and we look at the, at the word self-control, we see this verse in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 29 that says this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Solomon is expressing here a method of self-control. 
And he says this, If we are slow to anger, we have great understanding about this life. If we are slow to anger, it keeps us from a lot of harm that we would um, get ourselves into. And he says, If we have a hasty temper, we show the foolishness of a life that is not aligned with God. And the, your, your worship God will say this, the person who is slow to anger reflects the Lord's character. The person who is slow to anger reflects the Lord's character. Solomon knew this from his study of the Torah, of, of, the, the, of the scriptures that Moses had provided. In Exodus chapter 34 and 6, Moses provides these words to describe God. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Think about those words there. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Now Moses is Moses has great respect here for God's self-control because Moses has been in the wilderness with the children of Israel for a long, long time. And God has had every opportunity and every reason that he, he could have to take these people completely out off the face of the earth. But God has showed great self-control in holding his wrath back from the people of Israel. And God and, and Moses is saying here, God is merciful and gracious. When we wake up in the morning, one of the first things that we should realize is how merciful and gracious God is to allow us to awaken that day and to have that day before us to use as he would see fit. The, the, Moses says this, he says, God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. God's anger should have been, was, could have been kindled against these people. They were murmurers. They were complainers. They, they rebelled against God after he had graciously allowed them to leave the slavery of, of uh, Egypt. But he was slow to anger against these people. And then it says that he was abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There was never a moment where he didn't love them. Has there ever been a moment where God didn't love you? Since you came into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, has there been a moment where God didn't love you? Had there been moments where you give him reason to not love you? But there's not been a moment in that relationship where God's steadfast love and faithfulness didn't hold you up and keep you and keep you there in his grace. We see Solomon's father, King David, also understood this conception of God in Psalm 145 and 8. David repeated these words pretty much when he said, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. King David knew the mercy and grace of God. King David had, had great sin in his life, but he had witnessed the great protection of God and his mercy and his love and his being slow to anger. Now let me ask you this question as we begin this morning. What if God had our self-control? What if God exhibited our self-control in how he dealt with mankind and how he dealt with us? Where would we be this morning? If God exhibited the same self-control that you and I had, if God had the same quick response and the quick anger that we have, where would humanity be this morning? Some of you are sitting there thinking, I'd be here all by myself. 
But God doesn't do that. God exhibits great self-control. And when we do the same, we are exhibiting and reflecting God's great character. There's a role of the Holy Spirit. There's a role of the Holy Spirit in self-control. The Holy Spirit of God, who convicted me of my sin and who pointed me to Jesus Christ. That's how my relationship with Christ began. My relationship with Him began by God the Holy Spirit showing me and convicting my heart and saying you have great sin in your life and the only hope for that sin is for you to find forgiveness through Jesus Christ and the work that He did for you on the cross. And when that happens, then the Holy Spirit does something great in my life. He takes and He initially cleanses my life. He cleans me up on the inside and then he causes me to want to make a clean break with the pattern of sin that was in my life before. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, Paul said this about the, to the Corinthians. He said, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. After that initial break with sin, the Holy Spirit brings about in our life through our conversion he produces in us growth and holiness in our lives. The Holy Spirit begins to produce in us a growth that reflects the holiness of God. Now, I want to make this statement. No one was ever saved to stay stagnant. No one was ever saved to stay static or stagnant. Everyone who was ever saved by the grace of God and the forgiveness of their sins was saved to begin to grow and to produce good works for the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us were saved to stay the way that we are. After that initial break, God begins to produce in us through the Holy Spirit a growth. There is a want, need, and desire for us to grow. Now think about it as a new birth. Think about it, those of you who are parents, and think about that moment that greatest physical miracle that ever happens in this world is the birth of a child. And think about that moment when that child was born and the first time that you ever held that child, the first time that you ever were, were given that child in your hand, and you saw that child, and it didn't matter if their head was shaped like a cone, and it didn't matter what color they were, Mama, was that not the most beautiful thing you've ever had in your hand? So let's say amen. But let me ask you this. Did you expect that little baby to stay that way forever? Now, some of you are sitting there thinking right now, boy, I wish, I wish that they would have. That would have been wonderful. But did you, did you, understanding life, did you expect that child to stay that way forever? It's unrealistic. It's unreasonable to think. You knew that, that you wanted, you needed, and you desired for that child to begin to grow and for that child to begin to mature and for that child to grow and to develop and become an adult and someday hopefully take care of you when you need to take care of. We have, we have that expectation in that new birth. Guess what? God has that same expectation of us in that new birth when we become a child of God. When we're saved, we're, we are forgiven of our sins and when we become a part of God's family, God in no way expects us to stay there in our infancy spiritually, but He expects us to begin to grow. 
He expects us to begin to mature. He expects us to begin to bear fruit of repentance and to become to look more and more like who? Look more and more like Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit begins to, to do that, and He begins to bring forth the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, Paul writes these words to the church of Galatia, and he talks about how we will begin to exhibit these things when we begin to grow spiritually. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He brings forth the fruit of the Spirit. These qualities mentioned here are also a reflection of God's character. Now, leave that up there just a second, Chad. Look here. When we begin to think about the fruit of the Spirit, and we begin to think about which one of these spirits would we most want to reflect in our lives, which one of these spirits would make us most look like Jesus? What are the ones that we would grab hold of first? We'd say we want to exhibit love, we want to exhibit peace, and we want to exhibit joy. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. Paul leaves self-control until the very end there. It is at the end, but I want you to think of it as the anchor. Self-control is the anchor for the other eight fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is the thing that if we, if we desire self-control, and if we pray and ask God to give us self-control, and if we pray and ask God to anchor our spiritual life in self-control, here's what happens. We are born into a world of hate and despair, but through the anchor of self-control, the Holy Spirit is able to produce in us love and joy. We are born into a, a world of worry and anxiousness. I listened to a great sermon this past week on anxiety by Craig Rochelle, one of the best sermons I've ever heard on the topic. And he talked about how we are born into a world of anxiousness and anxiety and a world of worry. But through the anchor of self-control, the Holy Spirit can produce in us the fruit of peace and patience. We're born into a world of animosity and hatred, but in this world, and hatefulness, but through the anchor of the Holy Spirit yet grounding us in self-control, we can produce kindness. We're born into a depraved world of evil, but through the Holy Spirit we're able to produce goodness. And we're born into a world that is full of apathy and harshness, but through self-control of the Holy Spirit, you and I can produce faithfulness and gentlemen. You see, the fruit of the Spirit reflects our growth in the process of sanctification. There's a doctrine called sanctification. Now, we don't talk a lot about doctrines. We don't talk a lot about those theological things that make us who we are in the Christian faith. But there's a doctrine called sanctification. And the doctrine of sanctification is this. It is the continued transformation of moral and spiritual character so that the believer's life actually comes to mirror the standing he or she already has in God's sight. Now let me make that simpler for you. There's a point of justification. When I ask for forgiveness of my sins, 
when I ask God to forgive me of my sins through what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, when God forgives me of my sins through Jesus, I come into a place there at that moment where I am justified in the sight of God. It is called justification. It is, it's, it's like a legal term that says that my sins have been forgiven and that I am in the sight of God. I, st- I, I am now in a new standing with Him. I have gone from being condemned to justified. That's justification. Now here's, here's what it means. It means that at salvation, when I became forgiven, it says this, God no longer was looking and seeing Michael Ingram, the sinner. He was no longer looking and saying, there is one who's condemned and unclean. At that moment of justification, God began to see me, and he began to look at me, and when he looked at me, he saw his son, Jesus Christ. And from that moment of my salvation and my justification, from that point on, when God looks at me, he no longer sees a sinner condemned and unclean, but he sees his son, Jesus Christ, and what Jesus did for me on the cross at Calvary in giving me my forgiveness. And so at that point, when I'm justified, God no longer expects me to stay just there in that spot. Now, if he expected me to stay just there in that spot, he should have just taken me at that moment and taken me on to heaven. But here's what he expects from me. He expects me to begin to grow and to become more like Jesus through what I do and and what he sees every day. Now, think about this. Those of you, we've talked about children. Let's talk about what's better than children. Grandchildren. Some of you just lighten up beaming when I say the word grandchildren. Well, let's talk about that for just a moment, those of you who have grandchildren. What do you see? When you look at those grandchildren, what do some of you see? You see in that grandchild, you see what you wish your child would have been, and now there's that grandchild, and you have the, you have the opportunity to, to see maybe they'll, maybe they'll be what that child I wanted. Maybe they'll be what he, what, what he or she I thought they were going to be. Amen? Some of you are saying, yeah, that's really the truth. But we see those grandchildren, and they're, more, they're even more precious, and they're even more wonderful than those children. And we see, we see them, and we want them to grow up and be everything that they can possibly be. We want to see them grow and mature and become everything that they can possibly be. And here's what sanctification says, that we should be growing to be more like what God sees in us. We should be growing to be more like Jesus each and every day. We were saved and we were justified to become more like Jesus and to grow. And through self-control and submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit and giving ourselves over to Him, we are able to become more like Jesus. So we ask the question, is this, can you and I have self-control? Can we have that self-control that says that we're growing and becoming more like Jesus? Philippians 4.13, Paul said these words to the church at Philippi. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, let's take this verse right here and, and let's make this clear. 
A lot of times in our modern day society, people will take Philippians 4.13 and they'll apply it to a lot of things that it doesn't really apply to. A lot of times you'll see people use this verse and maybe they are an athlete or a musician or something and they, they use this verse and say, I can do everything that's required in this area of my life because Christ strengthens me. Now, let me say this. I can't. You could, you could take me down to the Y and you could set down 100 basketballs and you could put a million dollars underneath the goal. And you could tell me, Michael, if you could take one of these 100 basketballs and you can dunk it, we'll give you a million dollars. All right? Now, with that said, I can't do all things physically through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I can, if I could dunk 100 of those basketballs, I could use that ability to glorify Jesus and to say that it's through Christ that I'm able to do these things. I think Tim Tebow is a great example of somebody who has used this verse to say, I can do all things spiritually and I can glorify God through what he's given me. But what Paul is talking about here is Paul is saying that I have a strength inside my life and when that power released inside of me it becomes 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 outside then I can do everything that God intended for me to do spiritually because of Christ who is in me. I can have contentment. I can have peace. I can have joy. I can have love. I can have self-control. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now the most important part of a tree is the part you can't see. There's a root system to that tree that anchors and holds that tree and keeps that tree standing secure where it is. And inside of me is something you can't see. There's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and there's a stirring of the Holy Spirit and all of those things are, are inside of me and it is what roots me and what anchors me spiritually in this life and it is what allows me to grow and to become more like Jesus. Paul's not talking about an outward set of circumstances, but he's talking about an inward source of strength. And when we draw upon the deep resources of God by faith, when we, when we, unless we draw upon the deep resources of God by faith, then we are always going to fail when the pressures of life come. Paul had this great motto in his life, I can through Jesus. I can through Jesus. When Jesus gives me an opportunity and when Jesus gives me something to do, I can because of my relationship with Jesus. When I am placed into a prison cell and when I am there alone and I have no one else with me except for a Roman guard, as long as I have paper that is provided me and as long as I have a pen to write with, I can give instruction to the churches as just as if I were there. I can still reach and I can still teach and I can still preach. I can do these things through Christ. John Phillips, the great commentator, said this, I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives within me. I can face anything that comes to me or to me or in front of me because I know that it is Jesus who lives inside of me and it is the Holy Spirit that is producing the fruit of the, of the Spirit in me that is allowing me to live for Christ the way that I do and I know that there's nothing that's going to face me that I can't face and that I can't do all things because he strengthens me.
Now, that is a wonderful verse to put into our heart and for our heart to absorb and for our lives to be built upon. To know that no matter what happens in our lives, I can face it and I can handle it because Jesus is living in me and he's my strength and he's my anchor and he's what's holding me. Tomorrow is Monday. There's absolutely no there's absolutely no guarantee of what Monday may bring and what Monday may hold for any of us sitting here. But I know this, Jesus is already there on Monday morning. Jesus is already there Monday morning. Nothing that happens tomorrow will be a surprise to God. Nothing that happens in my life or your life will take God by surprise. God is not somewhere in heaven right now nervously wringing his hands saying, Jeremy's going to face this tomorrow and it's going to be really bad and, 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 I, and, and I don't know if we can handle it. God's already there and God knows through the strength of what's inside of Jeremy that Jeremy's going to take it and he's going to be just fine because he has a relationship with Jesus that strengthens him from inside. Now we live in a society where we're told that there's a lot of things that we can do all things through. We're told that we can do all things through drugs or we can do all things through education. We can do all things through money or through success or through the friendships that we have. We can do all things through positive thinking or we can do all things by electing the right people to political office. But none of these things give us the strength that Jesus Christ will give us when we have a relationship with him. And he is who is inside of us and we realize that he is the strength that we have. So we realized that at one point in our lives, we were a sinner, condemned and unclean. And there was a moment in our life where, where we cried out knowing that we didn't have the power within us to make ourselves clean and to justify ourselves. But God, through his great mercy and through his great love for us, provided a way for us to be justified in his sight and that was through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's no other way this morning that I can have self-control that helps me to produce love and joy and peace in my life other than through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before I had a relationship with Jesus Christ, there were moments in my life where I were happy, where I was happy. There were moments in my life where I thought I had peace. There were periods in my life where I thought I had joy. But those moments were quickly fleeting and would leave me and would leave me with an emptiness and loneliness inside that I can't explain. And I would mask that loneliness and that emptiness with all the things that the world had to offer. And I would live with a smile on my face that was just as fake as anything you've ever seen. And I would live, and everybody thought, there's Michael. He's the life of the party. He's always happy. He's always smiling. He's always got joy. And what they didn't realize was that inside of me was an emptiness that was deeper than the ocean or deeper than any canyon that you could ever find. And I had no idea. I had no idea that once I came into a relationship, I heard people talk about relationships with Jesus. I'd seen people, I lived with people who had a relationship with Jesus. I knew that it was a better life than what I was living, but I had no idea how wonderful it truly was until I for myself stepped up and said to God, God, I can't live this way anymore. 
I can't live with this emptiness. I can't live with this loneliness. I can't live this lie anymore. You want to talk about someone having absolutely no self-control about themselves or about anything in their life. I was a picture of someone who had absolutely no self-control in this world. And I'm not going to tell you that the moment that I came into a relationship with Jesus, that I had this great self-control and that there was, there was this uh, overflowing love, joy, and peace that was immediately there. Nope. I began to grow into that. And I began to learn, and I began to pray, and I began to read God's Word, and I began to listen to, to true and, and right teaching, and I began to apply that to my life. And I can tell you some, some 20, a little bit over 25 years later that there is love and there is joy and there is peace in my soul that wasn't there that day, wasn't there the day before, but is there today. And then I know that tomorrow, no matter what I face, the love and joy and peace of Jesus is there. Because I was willing to say, here I am, Lord. I can't do this, but you can. And now I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, I physically can't do some of the things that I'd like to do, but I can spiritually do anything. And I can spiritually face anything that's going to come my way because of Jesus. This morning, there are no, there is no doubt in, in any believer's mind that there are areas in each and every one of our lives where we need to grow. And I want to challenge you this morning to think about the area of self-control, to go back this afternoon or sometime this week and look at those fruits of the Spirit that are listed there. And I want you to look at that self-control, and I want you to think about how it links to every one of those other fruits of the Spirit. And I want you to pray and ask God to give you the self-control that you need to grow in every one of those other areas. And I want you to ask Him to, to, to do that, and I promise you, if you are a believer, if you are, are, if you are a child of God, I promise you that He'll begin to grow you in that area, and because of that, you'll grow in every other area in, that, in those verses. That's a promise and a guarantee from the Scripture of God that He wants and desires and needs us to grow in these areas. This morning, you may be here. I have no doubt that there are people here this morning who what I've said is kind of a foreign thing to them. You're saying, you're saying to yourself, I hear what you're saying, but I don't have that forgiveness that you were talking about. There's no reason today for you to leave here without knowing the forgiveness of sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's absolutely no reason for you to leave here today without knowing that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ and what he did for you on a cross at Calvary, shedding his blood for your sin. Darren is coming this morning to lead us in a time of invitation.